Well, y'all can take your jackets off if you want to. I had to. Uh, you can be turned over to Revelation chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 11 and read down through the end of this chapter. So if you want to stand, I'm not going to try to make a comment. We'll stand and honor the Word of God and then I'll make my comment. I'll start in verse 10. John said, as we saw this morning, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, even unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall, shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which, they, which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let's bow for prayer. Brother Earl, would you lead us as we pray, please?
seated. We did say this morning that much of Revelation is typology and sinology. Verse number two says, uh, or verse Verse 1 says that he sent and signified it. You ought to get that. It might help you sometimes. It's full of signs. Verse 20 gives us a demonstration of what, he's gonna, what he is talking about. He tells you what the signs are, and then he tells you what they, what they represent. The seven stars are not stars, but they are uh, uh, the angels, the messengers of the seven churches. And then he says, the seven candlesticks which thou saw are not candlesticks, but they are the seven churches which he has named for you up in verse 11. So, if I were going to just preach this chapter, I would call it the greatest sight ever seen. Uh, It's a a picture of Jesus that you do not find anywhere else in the scriptures. It's all new. The the signs. But I'm not just going to preach that. I want to I want to just, in fact I don't know if I'm even going to get to the uh, to this uh, symbology and picture of Jesus Christ. I love this thought. John, let me read 9 and 10 again. I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. What does that make him? That makes John a church member who is linked up with us. I get a letter every once in a while from a preacher down in uh, Houston. And he always signs it off with a unique signature, but he is through the years he has got my attention with that. And he'll he'll write the letter and then he'll say, Your yoke fellow. Think about what that says. My my granddad was big with horses. He could do things with horses. And he I can remember some scenes. He had he had big giant mules. I don't know if I ever saw bigger mules than he had, but they were big red mules and they were a match set. And when he hooked them up to the plow, those two those two mules pulled in tandem and got a job done that you could you can't believe what they could plow when they worked together. Uh, I preached in a church up in I preached up a church in in Denver 
a few years ago, and right up here behind me was a ox yoke. And the ox yoke, you know, it's it's all bowed, and and part of the it's the ox yoke is wooden, has that ring for the neck of the ox. But part of the uh, value of the ox yoke is both oxes have to pull. When one ox pulls, both oxes pull. They have to pull together. And the picture of the church is Paul describes us as a body. There's feet and hands and, and all the different members of your body. But in order for the body to, to function, every part, every member has to do its part, right? But in cooperation, the body is a super duper machine. Nobody can match it. They can't make the prosthesis that will replace the human body that God made, fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, the church, the church in unity and the church, uh, well, if you take this verse, the, verse 10, a church filled with the Spirit, the church that is united in their submission to the Holy Spirit. And the pervading spirit of that Holy Spirit in every one of us. There's nothing, there's nothing on this earth that can match it. So, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. That word trumpet there is a symbol of authority. You remember those Jews under Moses... They made the silver trumpets. They had the shofar, the, the ram's horns, but they made the silver trumpets. And they carried them into battle for the battle signals. To attack, to retreat, to stand still, to charge. And, and they also carried them as they moved the camp. And each... Each portion of the camp had a signal, and when that signal sounded, they were, you know, I, I grew up in the, back in the sticks of Oklahoma. Uh, we had an eight or nine party line, I don't remember what it was, where you crank your phone and you crank one long, two shorts, or two longs and a short, or something. And if that that party line served that whole community. And that's what happens in the church. Uh, we, they, we used to sing a song that said, uh, Central's never busy, always on the line. You can talk to Jesus almost any time. And, and it was talking about that party line. And our party line... Central was in the living room of the old lady who owned the phone system. 
if she happened to be busy cooking or visiting with somebody, you could forget it. She wasn't getting out. She, you could ring her ring, but it didn't mean you was going to get... She, if she was busy, she wouldn't answer. Well, you and I, in the, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, have a promise. We don't have to... We don't have to wonder about any service that he's not going to show up. Where two or three are gathered in my name. That's what he said. But it may be that we come in dead to the Spirit. It may be that that, that phone rings and we don't, you know, I've got these I got these magic ears that drive me crazy. When my phone rings now, I, I, somebody told me that I missed a call today. Brother John told me I missed a call today. Brother John, the reason was I quit turning on my ringer. I can hear it in my... But I was on the phone probably when you called back, so I didn't hear the ringer. I was on, talking on the phone and... All right, I was listening on my magic ears. I didn't have a conversation with John this morning because I didn't answer my phone. I didn't answer my phone because I wasn't set up to receive a call. I wonder how many times this is this is kind of a church address, I guess. See, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when he got there, he heard the authoritative voice from heaven with a message that had never been heard on earth before. He's going these next these next verses is brand new stuff in your Bible. It's not, it's not, not, a, not any person has ever had that vision that he had right there. Not any person has ever heard the call that he heard right there. So he had a he had a command performance. He had a call from heaven. He was lonesome. He was all alone. He was discouraged. He might have been defeated. He may have been giving up. But God called, he answered, and things changed. So I want to I want to look, first of all, at the call of God with you. I think I've mentioned some of this here, but I don't think I've ever preached it here. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 3, verse number He says, this know also, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong book. Let me go to chapter 3 of Hebrews. 3.1. Wherefore, holy brethren, the word is koinoneo. It means equal partners, to equally share. He says partakers, we use the word partakers. 
Partakers for us means there's the dessert table and I can go over and get a little piece of this, skip that. But that's not, that's not the word here. Partakers here is koinoneo. Koinoneo is, means we come to this table and we each one share fully in what's there at the table. We've been, he says, now listen. Wherefore, holy brethren, equal partakers, equal sharers of a heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So the first call I wanted to talk about is this call. Some of you, some of you have already heard this call and answered this call. You wouldn't be in the church if you had not heard it and answered. But he says it's a heavenly call. And some of us have got the idea that God got in the salvation business just because we needed to get saved. But the, and somebody, some guy wrote a song that said, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Well, way beyond the cross, way beyond the Jews, way beyond the Bible, way beyond the creation, way beyond this universe, I was on his mind. And the call for salvation came before I was ever born. The call for salvation came before this world was ever created. The call for salvation came before, before sin ever entered the Garden of Eden. Before men became sinners who must have a Savior. But that call was ringing down through eternity. I was thinking about this afternoon. It was sometime along about this time of the year. I think it was in August. But it was a Sunday afternoon, and we'd had a big dinner at my house. And some of the kinfolks had been there that day. And I couldn't enjoy the day, and I couldn't enjoy the dinner. I had not, my mother thought I'd been sick. I slept in the basement downstairs. Basement's a little spooky sometimes anyway. But uh, for a lost person. Stepping off down in that basement was like stepping in down to the edge of the pit, you know. That was my imagination of it. My mother had that plaque. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray my Lord my soul to take. I, I tried never to, never to read it. I tried never to look at it. I tried to get in bed without... Uh, without seeing it because I hated it. It was, it scared me to death. Every time I read it, it reminded me, yes, I was a church boy. Yes, I'd been baptized. I was even in church. But I had never been saved. And that call kept ringing. And for five or six years as a saved church member, or as a professing church member I kept trying to make deals with God I'm pretty good I'm as good as so and so and so and so he's not interested in that see your salvation call is just your call 
you got to deal with it yourself. Your dad can't deal with it. The preacher can't deal with it. The teacher can't deal with it. You got to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, you're going to face God with what you've done with, with that call. It, the Bible said it's a heavenly call. It's an eternal call. It came out of eternity. And it'll ring into eternity. When we get into eternity, it'll be there to face us what we've done with that heavenly call. Yeah. It will, it, it, and so that day in August, I had paced the floor and fretted over my call. That night, I went to church determined that if I didn't, I, I don't know if this was true or not, but I believed it was true that day. I, I sat back there where Brother Smith is, and I, during the sermon, it dawned on me that if I didn't answer the call, that heavenly call that day, I'd probably never get another call. I was, I was facing eternity without Christ if I didn't get saved that night. I don't know if that was true or not. I'm sure a merciful God would have probably done something that I didn't expect, but I believed it if I didn't get saved. Sometime you, sometime you ought to try to find J. Harold Smith's message. God's three deadlines. You can get it, I'm sure, on some of your electronics. You ought to listen to that message and get the importance of that message. That heavenly call had been floating around where I was for years. I told God if he had sent up a skyrocket, if I could see a skyrocket, I'd get saved. Nobody had sent up skyrockets in America at that time. One night we was out there looking at the sky and I thought, Lord, if you'd just let me see a falling star, I'll get saved. He didn't do either one. God doesn't make deals. The call's on you, buddy. You answer or you reject every time you hear it. And you'll pay, you, you better pay attention because you will be charged with that call. The heavenly call. That night, when they, I don't know what the preacher preached on, I could not tell you. When they gave the invitation, I came down the aisle. My preacher was a good pastor. He gathered me up in his arm, patted me on the head, prayed for me. I was crying. He couldn't understand what I said. He sent me back to my seat. I got all the way back over there. My dad was sitting over here where Brother Benny is. And I got there and I thought, well, you're still not saved. You didn't get saved. You just went forward, cried a few tears. You're, you're still not saved. So I went over to Dad, and about the time I got to Dad, they were saying... They were praying the closing prayer. And when, I, when they said amen, Dad said, What's the matter with you, Wayne? In one of those dad voices. I said, Dad, I need to be saved. There was a room right up there, and they had a 
for some reason, the prayer bench was in that room. He said, he just gathered me up. He said, let's go in here where we can talk. And we went into the prayer room, got down on our knees, and he began to talk to me, and people were trying to come in the prayer room to pray with us. You know how churches are. And about the time I got settled down on my knees good, I realized I was saved. I said, I said, Dad, I just got saved. And uh, he was prepared. I don't know what he was going to, all he was going to say. But, it, but somewhere, and Susan said, where'd you get saved at? Well, I don't know. Somewhere between here and there, and there and there, and there and there, I got saved. But I answered the call. That night, I confessed him. You say, tell us that verse again, Josh. I don't know if I can find my deal. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That night, I moved from the wages of sin to the gift of God yes, through a heavenly call. I didn't do anything to earn it. That's right. I didn't even hardly know how to pray a prayer to receive it. But I somehow in somehow by the mercy and grace of God I opened my heart to him and he came in. Yes, a heavenly call. I don't know I don't know who of you has answered a heavenly call or who hasn't. It's a Holy Spirit call. That's right. It's a conviction call. I mean I, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was a hell-bound sinner as a 12-year-old boy. If I didn't get a Savior, I, I thought that if I didn't get saved that night, I'd never get saved. God will call. and call. There's, a, there's a line somewhere when you say no your last time. And that call is forever sealed. So, the heavenly call. Now would you go, I, I, I imagine that's all we're going to get done tonight is these calls, so you may as well just perk your ears up and listen a little bit. Secondly, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Who is the book of 1 Corinthians written to? Huh? The church, right? It's a weak church, a willful church, a struggling church, a fleshly church, but it's a church. It is a God-established church. It's a God-contained church. And so, a, over here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to talk about a household call. If you get saved, if you answer this heavenly call. You're not through with the calls. You're just getting started. The next call is to his church. Listen to this. Verse 26, chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, 
Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Here's, here's a great verse. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is all of that and more. And according as he is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So, okay, so we got saved with a heavenly call. I'm calling this a household call. There's, there's, there's a school of theology that says that anybody is saved is a part of the worldwide invisible church. I'll let you sort that out for yourself. I'm not even preaching on that tonight. But we believe in a local, visible church. The invisible church can't take the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper. We have a commandment. You can't get baptized into the invisible church, but you can get baptized into a visible church. I had a friend that used to preach on the three points. He said we have a family home. God instituted a family home. I'm so thankful for the family he gave me. And I, if you don't have a family I, uh, that you can rejoice in the Lord with, my heart goes out to you. I'd just say to you, there's some foster parents around here just put an arm around you and, and draw you right into the family right here. Sure. He said he preached, he, when he got through preaching on the family home, then he would talk about the fellowship home. God gave us a church. Yeah. Oh, uh, the, Bill Gaither Bill and Gloria Gaither had that song that said, I'm, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. We say brother and sister around here. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear. Because we're part. We're in the fellowship home of God right here on this earth. Everything else in this world has no part of the church. The church has no part of everything else. Hey, we're a we're we're citizens of another country. We have been born from above. We, our holy our holy spirit birthing into the family of God places us out of the jurisdiction of this world. We're going to another world. We are a part of a fellowship home. 
And I'm not saying it has to be an independent fundamental Baptist uh, to be part of that, but I'm just saying in the, in the local church, we're part of the local church. I'm responsible to you. You're responsible to me. Our testimony. We, we should be good stewards of our testimony because we reflect on our church with what we do in our testimony. We reflect on Him with our testimony. So we're called... The Bible addresses lots of statements to the saints of God. The saints of God are the inhabitants of the household of God. The definition, I'm not going over, but in Psalms, I think it's Psalm 50, it gives you the definition of a saint. It's one who comes with sacrifice. It's a, it's a child of God who comes with a sacrifice. We come together in our sacrifice. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that, that joins us. And we become part of it. So, the household call. <clears throat> this is, uh, I've, I've got a whole message on this next one. I'm not going to preach it, but over in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine. Uh, verse nine says, "Who has saved us?" Let's just back up a minute. Let's start in verse eight. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. When you get saved, it brings you out of the world and into his church. I've said this over and over again here lately, we're not the home team. A few years ago, the greatest thing you could be in America was a church member and a Christian. It's not so anymore. You may be the uh, you may be the outcast of the citizenship when you take Jesus as your Savior and live for Him. Now, if you just if you got if you made a profession and you're not living for Him, well, nobody knows the difference anyway. You just like the world act like the world, talk like the world, look like the world. That's what they want. But if you're saved and you live it, there's some of those folks out there, and some of them may be really close to you, that'll push you away. I'm struggling with a little bit of that in my family right now. I don't want, I don't want to be separated. I want to love with the love of Christ, but you can only love where you can love. And there's, and so he said, 
that we are partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us to a, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. A holy calling. The, the Hebrew word is... Uh, I got it right here. Hebrew word. Is. Kodesh. Q-O-D-E-S-H. The Greek word is hagios. And the same word. Holy is the same word sanctify. And other words. But what it simply means is set apart for Christ's service. Set apart for the, Christ, the service of God. That's what hope, living holy lives. Now, we're living in a day when our theology, I mean, you can, you can run the gamut with your theology, but most of the theology that we hear on, you'll hear on the, radio, TV, and, and most of the popular theology of America is you can do what pleases you. You can enjoy yourself. You don't have to live, uh, you don't have to live separated. You don't have to live, yeah, enjoy life. Don't, don't let life go by without enjoying your life. But that word holy and, and, and sanctification means coming apart. Now there's, I, I've, come through the, I've come through the negative separation crew. I mean, they preached against everything that moves. There's some favorite topics, smoking and short skirts. And, and there's a few things that, you know, I, I heard a fellow preaching about bell-bottom breeches when bell-bottom breeches were popular. He had a pair on that time he was preaching. It doesn't take much study to preach those kind of messages. Give me Bible. Preach the Bible. Live the Bible. Jesus Jesus admonished his disciples to come apart. And he said, Love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. There's a crew out there that says spit in each other's face, honk a horn, and send them a fresh sign and cuss at them as you drive by and, and hope they don't shoot you. That's a society that's out here. There are churches that are saying, we'll take you any old way you can come. Just come as you are. And we'll worship together. 
we had a next door church at our in our neighborhood at Alvin that that was their motto. Just come as you are. We'll worship with you. That's not what the Bible says. He says you're going to have to put off some things, put on some things, and meet him on his ground. There's a word in the New Testament called reconcile. Reconcile means to take two things that are apart and bring them together and make them fit together in unity. <clears throat> we're living, the theology we're, that I'm talking about says, when you come like you are, God will fit himself where you are. Jesus is a good old boy, and you can, you can do all the cowboy stuff, and he'll be a cowboy with you. Or he'll, uh, but that's not Bible. He says, come out from among them. First Corinthians 6, isn't it? Come out from among them, be you separate. Touch not the unclean thing. Then I'll be your father. Then, I'll, then you'll know the light. God never reconciles himself to us. What happens is the sinner must be reconciled to God. And so Peter said, be, he quoted Jesus as saying, be holy as I am holy. Now holiness is a, it's a, it's a characteristic of God. He, part of being God is he's holy. If he's not holy, he's not God. And if we meet his characteristic, we're going to have to be holy as well. I don't know what that means for you. I doubt if it means you can't wear wire-rimmed glasses. I doubt if it means that God would reject you for how you've, how you've come to church and what dress you've got on. I doubt that. But somewhere along the line, there's got to be a heart change that says, I want to be the vessel of honor. For God, I want to, I want God to use me to the utmost and the uttermost that I can. That boy, that boy here this morning spoke to our adult class back there, Chris Bell. I've been watching him ever since he got saved. He's got a good coach. He married a good coach to a mission. She's. She's dear, one of the dear moors, and she has a lot of missionary know-how. But he's using up everything she's got to learn to do what he needs to do. And he's still getting there. He hasn't got there yet. You understand it? Don't give up on him, though. His heart is to serve God. His heart is to be the vessel that God will use. Don't give up on him one of these days somewhere. There's going to be a community of Christians that say, as my pastor, as my leader, as my mentor. It's happened to over and over again. Happened. So there's a so the the heavenly call, the household call, and a holy call. Y'all still with me? I got two more and I'll be done. Over in Philippians chapter 3.
Verse number 14. I've preached this so much in the last two, three years. But 14 says, you remember, in chapter 3, verse 10, here's the cry of this apostle. This this is, this Philippian letter is one of the prison epistles. It was written from prison after years of service. And Paul had established this church. You can go to Acts chapter 16, read about the formation of the church. But now he's writing back to a church that he established after years. And in verse 10, here's what the experienced, mature, best preacher to ever lived outside of Jesus says. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformable even unto his death. He said, you remember, you remember y'all remember that song? I bet, I bet Brother John does. I love him better ever, D-A-Y. Huh? Y'all remember that? Do you love him better than you did yesterday? Do you love him better? Don't. There's something in me that just eats on me that wants to serve him in a way that I can walk and talk with him and be in his presence. And... <clears throat> Studying and praying and preaching may not be what it is, but I'm going to do whatever I can do to get to a place that I can know Him. That's my that's my life desire. Well, that was Paul's life desire, and this was Paul's life's desire after he's established churches all over Asia. By now, over there in Ephesians, it said that everybody in Asia had heard the gospel. By now, he's on, he's on about his third missionary journey by now. He's done a little work for God here and there and there and there and there, and there's congreg- whole congregations. Talking about Paul by now. But he said, I just want to know him better. Because I love him better. Verse 14. Let's start in 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. Young people, let me say, nobody's ever got saved that hadn't made a mistake. There's plenty of mistakes in our background. And if, if the devil gets his way, he'll, he'll point you back to your mistakes. And you'll never get to know Jesus better. He can, he can foul you up for years with that. You say, how you know? Because he did. The best thing you can do is forget the devil and forget your yesterdays and turn your eyes on Jesus and let let his call ring in your heart and answer the call. 
This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I know you bunch of roughnecks down here. I know y'all don't believe this, but get a hold of it. You are vessels that God wants to use. Every one of you are. He wants to, he, and, and it does not take your ability. It doesn't take great education. What it takes is a heart that just wants to know Him. And turn Him from who you've been to who He is. He'll make you the vessels of honor. That's, that's not only true for these young people, that's true for older people too. As we yield ourselves to that calling, Susie and I went to that camp about 20 years ago up in Borger, and I ran into a fella at that camp that we had run track in high school together. He was at one school, I was at another school. And uh, he, he was a half miler and a good one. And it was amazing to me to see how God had brought us both back together. Yeah, I remember when he was, uh, he took a ribbon and or whatever they gave back in those days for for his half mile in, in at regional track meet. And I oh he wowed me back in those days. You know, track is a sport where you where your enemies become your friends. You get to know each other running track. And everybody roots for everybody at a track meet. At the football game you won't kill each other but at the at the track meet, it's it's an individual thing, and if and you see that individual who's giving it all he's got, makes you want to admire and be like him. And look around us. Look around. Look around you. I don't know what you who you've been around. I know who I've been around. Most of the people who were my heroes in the Christian faith are now in heaven. But I'm amazed by the people that he put in my path. And I'm so thankful for God setting some of those people for me to be rubbing shoulders with. I mean, when I get around old Vaughn, I just want to talk about track and be around him. I, I still admire him. He, he's an old man and rickety now. He's, But he's... Uh, I just remember that young guy who was the hero of the track meets. I remember those preachers who were my heroes. How God put them in one by one by one. And boy, I've got a whole list of them. I could, some of them you know, some of them you don't know, but I got to know a bunch of real heroes. What's amazing is I got to know some real heroes who wore that little knot on the back of their head and weighed 80 pounds and cooked biscuits and gravy and did stuff like that. 
around the church and I saw them be faithful for God, live for God. I mean, they didn't miss a beat. A little old missionary like Chris Bale comes in the church. They're going to make sure he gets something to eat before he leaves. They're going to take care. There's a hospitality. I mean, heroes. I'm talking about heroes who sacrificed of themselves to, to be what God wanted them to be. The, the, the high call of service to the Lord. Hey, and there's one more if you'll turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I didn't intend to spend all night on this, but it's been a good study for me. I've enjoyed it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Anybody know what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is about? The rapture. Thank you, brother. Down in, uh, down in verse 15. Let's start right there. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's talking about those that have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. My boy, my youngest boy used to say, Dad, he hadn't been saved very long. He said, Dad, uh, I hope I'm one of them that, that dies here because we're going to get to rise first. That's poor, poor logic, Brandon, Brantley. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. In, in Revelation chapter uh, 1 verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Over in chapter 4 verse 1, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet calling, talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. What, what John heard was a summons from heaven. I call it the hallelujah call. When all this trouble is over, and we step out of the aches and pains of our bodies and meet him in the air, and he said, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We can all, it began with a heavenly call. He's, he's extending today a household call. We have a holy call.
we've got the high call. But now, before this service is over, the trump could sound, the archangel could shout, and if he does, get out of the way. We're out of here. I had a friend over in over in uh, over by Athens, over by wherever they have that first Monday thing. Y'all know where it is. And he he went into his church. He had a little church. He was just starting it. He went into his church one Saturday and scattered clothes out on the pews. Put a pair of pants and a pair of shoes down in front of it. And, and scattered. He was going to preach on the rapture. And uh, and he and he just wanted the people to get a vision of what it's going to be like if the rapture happens. Y'all can have my suit if the rapture happens. I won't be needing it in heaven. We had a I had a boy that worked for me at the chemical plant. His, they'd been preaching on the, preaching prophecy. They had a prophecy conference going on, and uh, he had just built his wife a new. He, they lived in a mobile home. He had built her a laundry room. She was out in the laundry room, and a tornado, little tornado, not a bad one, but a little one, blowed through, and it picked that laundry room up. Picked her up. She said she picked her up. She thought, is this a rapture, Lord? <laughs> About that time, that washing machine passed her. She said, no, it's not the rapture. We don't need a washing machine in heaven. <laughs> it's a real deal. Four calls, five calls, whatever it was. If John had not been in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he would have missed the call. If he had missed the call, we wouldn't have the book of Revelation. God would have had to have another vessel somewhere. I just wanted to ask this question before we have our invitation. How many times do we come in Expecting God to speak with us. Over in Ezekiel, there's a verse I've used a lot. He said, I looked for a man among them who would answer the call and save the nation. Over in, over in Romans chapter 11, he says the, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They do not, once the call goes out, it's out. Once the call settles on you, you've got to do something with it. He's not going to withdraw his call. And the method is still answering the call. That's Pleasing God is still answering the call. Whether it's, a, whether it's a heavenly call to salvation, whether it's a household call to the fellowship home, whether it's a holy call 
to purity for service, whether it's a high call to a place of service or a, a work of service or a special service. One day the hallelujah call comes and we'll give it an answer for every call that we slept through that we didn't answer that we put off because of our personal desires. The call of God. Let's stand. Father, I pray that you just have your way with us right now. I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me today. Lord, the greatest day of my life was the day I answered your call. One by one, you took things and replaced them with something else. God, it was worth every time. And I had that old song said, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. I'm so thankful for where you brought me from and where you brought me to. I'm so thankful for that call that reaches down even to country, backwood, hillbilly folks like me. And Lord, you take us and make us and shape us and fill us and prepare us and use us for your glory. Lord, I pray you'd just help us to press on toward the mark for that prize of the high calling of God. Take charge, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Page 231. God's speaking to you. Why don't you come? God's speaking to you. Why don't you answer his call?
I love this church. And I want us to be the best God can do with us. But if we are, somebody's got to answer some calls. Somebody's got to move from where you are to go where he wants you to go. I didn't intend to preach this message. I believe it was God that sent it. I just urge you to look at yourself. Look at your heart. See how willing you are to answer when he calls. There's not but one one right answer. Here I am. That was Abraham's answer every time. Well, here we are, Lord, and we need you. Would you do something with us and in us? Thank you for your being here today. My story, sing with me. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior.